ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good morning, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and it is Friday, January 9th, 2015. It is a chilly day here in Tampa, Florida. We have been enjoying being the only warm place in the country, and I think we lost that privilege this week. We have a very, very unique guest this morning, and she has quite a story to tell, uh, not only about uh the book that she has written, but about what led up to writing that book. And her name is Antoinette Tuff. Antoinette, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chickie. It's a pleasure to be here with you today on your show. I appreciate you all calling me, and I look forward to the interview today. Well, great. Well, Antoinette, you wrote a book called Prepared for a Purpose. And on the cover, it says the inspiring true story of how one woman saved an Atlanta school under siege. And, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, uh, the book talks about your, your courage and your faith and how really, although it was a tragic situation, you really used that courage and faith to prevent further tragedy. So before we get into talking about that incident and talking about the book, why don't you tell me about you? Well, um, Chicky, I actually, the, the incident really started when I was a child. A lot of times as children, we go through trials and tribulations in our lives, and so we look at them and, you know, you want to run from them. You know, you want you want somebody to come and rescue you. You know, your mom and your dad at that point is not making the right decisions in your eyes as a child, and so you sit there sometimes and question God, why did you put me with this family? Then you may have friends in your life, and their lives seem to be going just so great, and you want to really go over to that neighbor's house and say, can you please adopt me? But that didn't happen. And so for me, mine started at a childhood. Um, my dad had abandoned me when I was um, two, and my mom got a divorce. And I did not meet him again until I was 10. So that was, like, really devastating for me. Because right. now I'm actually thrown into this relationship with this person that I don't even know. Um, and the only reason why I knew of him was because every year my mom would um, send me and my two brothers gifts. She would go purchase the gifts, put my dad's name on them, and send them to us. And wow. so we would think, oh, my dad is sending us gifts. You know, we're excited. We had never met him, but we thought that he cared for us. And so when we got to meet him in person, it was just devastating. Um, he was just cool. He, had, he was with another family. Um, you know, you, you, you get all these mixed emotions because for all these years you're thinking that, you know, you know, your dad is just a you know, marvelous person. But in the end of the day, you go back and realize, but not until your adulthood, that God was preparing you even through that. And so... What you do is you actually go back and say, okay, I'm not going to have that childhood with my my kids. I'm not going to do this with my kids. I'm, right. I'm going to spoil them. I'm, I'm not going to have, the, you know, they're not going to suffer for anything. They're not going to have to wonder how they're going to beg bread and, and need to want. You know, I'm going to make sure I cover all their needs and their wants and their desires. So as new parents, then we wind up making sure that our kids don't go through what we went through. But a lot of times when you look back at it, it was what that the thing that shaped us and molded us and, and got us to the people that we are today. 
And so for me, when I wrote this book, I wanted people to be able to see that and prepare for a purpose. My purpose was really being prepared then, and I just didn't know it. And so I wanted people to be able to see that in spite of all that I was going through and in spite of everything that was going through before that time, it was actually leading me up for that day. Right. And so for me, I went and I, you know, had children because, you know, back then it was like if you had a child, if you had, you know, a car and a house and a husband and all that, it was like you were the number one um idol in, in, in people's lives. It was like if you had that, you made it. Right. And so I met my husband when I was 13. And so, you know, we just wasn't love at first sight. Um, at first I couldn't stand him. But uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just, you know, you know how in your mind you get this person, I'm going to, you know, he's going to be this 6'2 person. He's going to be, you know, successful and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. Well, my ex-husband was the opposite of all that. <laughs> but I think it was the opposite. But I think, in, and I, I say, not just for women, but for men. You know, for men, you go back and, you know, you sit there and if you're an executive or even if you're the person who's just assistant executive, you sit back and you say to yourself, you know, I want this person who's going to be able to have good conversation with me. I want oh, this absolutely. person who's going to be able to do this. And you put this whole list together. And in the midst of you putting this list together, you wind up, meeting someone that's the total opposite of you. And so once you now, you know, you say, okay, well, you know, maybe they'll change. Or no, I know what it is. I can change them. (laughs) That's what we think. We've all been there. (laughs) Yes. And so you you, you say there's a little bit of hope somewhere. There's just a little bit of hope somewhere. And so, you you know, you do this and you think you're going to change them and all that. But in all reality, it doesn't make any difference whether you're – the assistant or you're an executive, we all still go through the same thing. At the end of the day, we're all seeking for love and, and, and compassion and we're, you know, seeking for someone to validate me and to compliment me. And, you know, so if I walk into that boardroom, I can have that confidence because I know I got somebody that's on my side that when I get out of here, they're going to say, oh, baby, you got it today. You did it today, you know. And even right. if you're the secretary, you know, you want somebody to be able to say, Oh, babe, you typed that paper very well today. I heard you on the phone. You did an excellent job. And so I think it me I think for me it was that no matter what I thought I wanted, I wanted to falling in love with somebody and connecting with somebody. But the connection was because the missing piece started when I was young. My dad wasn't there. The abandonment issues wasn't there. You know, I didn't have this father figure there. So when my husband came into place, I gravitated to him. You know, it was the first man that I was there with, you know, to be able to see. It was the first love that I was able to see. So I gravitated. And so you ask yourself, how do you gravitate to something at the end that you thought was so good to you or so good for you that in the end it's the worst thing that you could have had? But it gave you the best thing that you could have had. It gave me two wonderful children. So let's fast forward a little bit, uh, you know, to to the fateful day that uh, the whole book is is written about, which is this event that occurred in an Atlanta school uh, with a gunman and lots of children and lots of bullets. 
Well, that day, let me let, let me let me get you the picture of the atmosphere a little bit. That day, right before that happened, my ex-husband had just left me. He had came and said to me that he was having an affair with this woman. And the man that I had been with for 33 years by now, you know, like I said, since I was 13, you know, I'm I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling, you know, how do I make it? How do I live? How do I breathe without him? I had tried to commit suicide several times. I'm begging him to come back home. You know, he leaves me with all of this debt, car in the shop. He takes his check over there with the other woman. Now, you know, we can relate to this. He takes that check, but he ain't take none of that debt. So I'm getting right. cut off notices trying to figure out what I'm going to do. So for me, I was already in a devastating state before the gunman came into the school. I had got up that morning, and what I always do is I have this thing that I do. I stop, look, and listen. So that morning I stopped. I had my quiet time with God to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do. I got up and fixed my son's breakfast, lunch, and dinner before I go to my three jobs, what I've done for years. So I stopped just to have that intimate time just to focus on me for a minute. And I think that's what we miss it is that, that moment of just stopping. It doesn't mean that as adults you got to take 30 minutes, but just a moment just to breathe out of your daily day. And so as I'm, you know, going to the school and I'm driving, I'm crying, tears going out my face, I'm just overwhelmed because I'm looking at everything around me and trying to figure out how did I get here, what happened, what did I do wrong, you know, why am I in this situation? You know, I try to give right. my kids and my husband the best thing that I could of me. You know, they never wanted for anything. So you look at your life and try to figure out, okay, I stopped this morning. I looked this morning. Okay, God, help me to listen to you today. And so as I go to work, I'm sitting there trying to get my face together, and my principal comes and asks me, Antoinette, can you come in and fill in for the secretary today? And she had just gotten hired a few weeks before that, about a week before that. And I'm like, okay, that's not my norm. I don't want to fill in for the secretary. You know, school has just started. I'm I'm behind already. I'm trying to get stuff together. And emotionally, if someone would have asked me, I would have crumbled because I was, you know, just crying, trying, you know, right. trying to get all the emotions and everything together. And so he goes and says, oh, you know, so I'm saying, okay, okay I got to do what the principal say. You know, I got to get up. Okay, so get yourself together, Antoinette. No matter what, you got to get yourself together. And so as I'm sitting there getting myself together, then I go back. And now I get a phone call. And the phone call is the bank. They're wanting $14,000 in seven days. Oh, my goodness. Well, normally that wouldn't be bad if you had a husband and, you know, you had some money. But, you know, I didn't have any of that. And so I'm sitting there. I close my door. I'm crying again. I'm like, okay, God, come on. You can't put no more on this sauce. It's already running over. Come on. I need a break somewhere. And so I'm sitting there, and the, the phone rings again. And it's the secretary. But I looked at the call ID that time. It was the secretary. She wanted to know where I was because I should have been up to the front office and back by now, but I was still sitting at my desk. Right. So I now get my eyes together. I open up the door, and there's a teacher there. She's like, can you help me with my paperwork? And I'm like, oh, man. So I said, okay, come with me to the front office, and I'll help you. We get into the front office. Not moments later, in comes the gunman, dressed in all black, disturbed, depressed, like death all over him. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, she looks at me and I look at her and I'm like, it's got to be a joke. It's got to be a joke. Right. And so he says, nope, this is not a joke. This is for real. We're all going to die today. And so, you know, he has this big, big old gun to me. That's what it was. You know, you see this big gun and I see this backpack on the back of his back and 
you know, I see them dressing all black, and I'm like, what in the world? And so, you know, you you don't know what to do. So I immediately go back and stop like I did this that morning, stop again. I look, and now I'm like, okay, what do I do? I am now having a conversation with God. What do I do? What do I say? How do I say it? You know, right. what is it? And so for me now, this is where the listen comes in. I know that I have to listen very quietly to even all of that's going on around me. I got to make sure that I listen because right now every word that's coming to me is life or death, not just for me, but for 870 students, teachers, and parents in that building. That was the busiest time of the day for us. And normally the front office would be full of kids, kids coming up, And I had to remember that nobody in the building knew he was there. And so it's like, okay, I got to make sure that none of these kids come. How do I make sure that they're, you know, they're not coming up to the front or anything? And so I'm sitting there just listening, trying to make sure, okay, what do I say to this young man? You know, by that time he wasn't saying it. He wasn't saying anything directly to me, having a conversation. He was just giving me demands. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And then he tells the teacher to go and let everybody know that he's in the building. But what he did not know is on the other side of the wall was teachers and children in that teacher's lounge. So as the teacher goes, she goes through that door because we know that people are in there. Right. And she lets them out. Well, he hears all this commotion. And he now goes over to the door where the children are leading to the building. And I'm like, and so, he, you know, he draws his gun up like he's about to start shooting. And I'm like, nope, no, we're not doing that. You know, that's when your motherly instincts come in. It's like, I don't care what it is. You know, at the end of the day, my baby's over there. You know, no, we're not doing that. You know, come back in here. They're only doing what you told them to do because he hears them scrambling in, trying to get in. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm just sitting there trying to make sure that I'm listening of what to do. And so I'm like, okay, can she stop the kids from coming down the hallway? You know, I know they're going to be starting to come. Will they be able to see her? You know, so you got all you know all kind of things right. that are going on in your mind at that time. And remember what I told you earlier, I was already in a devastating state myself. So, you know, trying to, you know, forget all about what I was going through and knowing that right now, you know, everything that I'm going through in my life doesn't really matter. What matters right. is that we've got 870 students in the school that need to go home to their parents, including him. Because my whole thing was that I wanted not only for all of us to go home, but for him to go home, too, because at the end of the day, he's going to be somebody's dad, somebody's husband, and somebody's, you know, son. Right. So his mom and auntie and sisters or whatever, you know, was looking for him to come back home, too. And so it was just important for me that everybody went home that day. And so as I'm sitting there, then the cafeteria manager comes in. See, they didn't know that he was in the building. Right. So as he comes in, then the gunman just agitated because I didn't allow him to shoot at the kids. And so um, he comes in, and then he says um, to the gunman, not the gunman, I mean, the gunman says to him that for him to get behind the counter with me. And he didn't move. He's just walking slowly, and the gunman gets agitated. So then he fires his first shot in the room with us. And so as I'm sitting there, the bullet is ricocheting all in the room. No. I mean, it's going everywhere. You can just sit bouncing off the walls. And I'm like, okay, God, please don't let this bullet hit any of us. 
you know, please don't let it hit any of us. And so as he now, you know, the cafeteria manager, you, you can imagine he's not, you know, walking slow now. He's running behind the counter because, you know, this is for real. Right. And so as I'm sitting there, he now tells him to go and let everybody know that he's in the building. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, well, why do you even tell me to go? Why I got to sit here? You know, I want right. to go too, you know. And so I'm sitting there, and he, and he gets mad because, I'm, you know, I'm telling him not to shoot and all that. He goes out. And well, and, and again, this isn't just a gun. This is an AK-47 assault rifle, and he has put over 500 rounds of ammunition in that gun that can be shot in less than a minute. Right. And so as he's, you know, now he takes his gun and, you know, that rifle, and he now goes outside because I didn't let him shoot. He now goes outside, and he just starts firing in the community. I mean, just firing bullets. And and that was scary for me, too. And the reason why is because now I'm seeing that even though he says this, he's for real. You know, he shot outside. He shot in the, in, the, in the room with me. I know this is not a joke. You know, I know that he's coming to do damage and to do harm to us. Right. And so as I'm sitting there, it's like, okay, I want to move. I can't move. You know, I want to run. I can't run. And it's like, okay, what do I say? What do I say? And so, you know, I'm just telling him my story. And so as I'm telling him, he, he doesn't actually act like he's hearing me or, or listening or anything like that. And so then he tells me to call the news station and call the 911 operator. So he had already, before we even got on the, on the 911 call, he had already shot outside. He had already shot in the room with me. It was right. already chaos way before I got on the 911 call. And so, you know, I'm trying to, you know, keep my composure, not, you know, not break down, you know, not, you know, not, try not to just run like I wanted to. But I was scared. I mean, right. I was just terrified. And so, you know, not you know, not knowing why why was I here? You know, it, it's been two people coming in the you know in the room with me. Why he didn't choose me to go? You know, but once again, it was my prepare for a purpose moment, and I just didn't understand it at the time. And so, as I'm sitting there, you know, he goes outside again and he shoots. He comes back in and he's just unstable enough. You know, I'm on the phone with the 911 operator. He tells me to hang up and call, you know, the news station. With me, I couldn't even think of a news station number. I mean, I mean, I couldn't think of nothing. So I asked him. I said, well, do you know the number? <laughs> and he said, yes, I do. And, I, and then, you know, I was like, okay, I look it up. So I watched him find it on the Internet, which I know then that was crazy because how was he going to know the, the news number, you know? Right. So I look up the number, <laughs> you know, and that's um, pure, you know, panic of, of attack and all of that, you know, you just ask questions that you don't even know later on. You think back and you be like, why did I ask that, you know? And so I'm just sitting there like, okay, so I call the news station. He wants the helicopters there, so he's giving me demands of what to tell them, and I'm telling them, and he's just going to and fro in the room with me. You know, we're in this small room, and I'm like, okay. You know, then he goes and he takes the, he's already $5 bullet, so he goes and then he gets the book bag. When the book bag, I didn't know that there were more bullets and magazines. Right. So he sits in the seat beside me, you know, on the other side of the counter, and he t- takes out the book bag, and he takes out all these magazines, and he just starts loading them right there in front of me. And, I mean, it's like, oh, my God, okay, what are we going to do now? You know, he's loading up all these magazines, and, you know, he's stuffing them in all his pockets. He's putting extra bullets in there. He's reloading the gun. You know, it's like, okay, what do I do now? It's just like, okay, what, what, what? And so... You know, I'm still in that listening mode. What, you know, what is going on, you know? And so 
as I'm sitting there, I asked him, I said, well, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> and he says, yes. But I was so <laughs> terrified to get up because I had just seen him, you know, fire bullets everywhere. And I'm like, if I get up and go, then, you know, he's going to come in this hallway and start shooting kids. So right. I'm like, okay, don't go. Just, you know, just sit right there. So the 911 operator says to me, I said, I just want to run. She said, well, can you find somewhere safe? And I said, yeah. But by that time, I got, I tried, you know, you tried to get up out your seat, and it was like I could not move. Oh. And um, it was like I was glued to the seat. I mean, I just could not move. And by that time, he came back in. I was like, oh, no, he's, he's coming back in, so I can't go anywhere. But I knew that, too, was a prepared-for-purpose moment. And the right. reason why is because if I had gotten up and ran or did any of that, it would have allowed him to just go and just, you know, do what he wanted to do take all the magazines and everything that he had and just start firing bullets all in the school. And the media center was right across from me. And so there were people in there. So I know that he would start shooting there first and people would get killed. So then what happened? I mean, how did you get out of this situation without the kind of tragedy that you've described? Well, you know, I'm sitting there. He's just walking in, so I'm just talking, and I'm just telling him my story, and I'm telling him what happened to me, and I'm telling him about my, you know, my marriage and, you know, my son and, you know, all, you know, what life has dealt me. You know, the hand doesn't seem to be a good hand, but I'm still living, you know. It doesn't seem to be the hand or, you know, it's not the hand that I want it to be. You know, I would like to have changed it, but it was the hand that God allowed for me to have. So now what do I do? And so he was like, now, you know, I don't, I don't know if he was listening or not listening because he never allowed me to know that I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm going to do what you said or, you know, he right. never responded. The whole time he just got, the, you know, gave demands. And so as he's now sitting there and I'm telling him this story and I'm telling him that, he just goes. And I don't even know where the turning point came. You know, that's that listening part. You know, I don't know where the turning point came to be able to say that he heard this particular word or this phrase that I said that made him, uh, you know, listen to what I was saying and make a difference. But right during that time, he wound up taking the gun and was going to shoot himself. And I was like, nope, we're not doing that. You're, oh, no, you're not doing that in here with me today. Oh, no. That's I said, everything's going to be okay. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. And so... After he started doing that, I was just, you know, just talking to him and, you know, just telling him. And so then he winds up taking all of the bullets out of his pocket, taking the magazines out of his pocket. He had a bottle of water and all that. He put it in the counter right beside me. And then he goes and he goes and lay lay down, prostrate on the floor. And I'm like, okay, great. He's laying down. They need to come and get him. You know, the gun is not that far from him, so he can just jump up and start shooting. And I'm like, okay. You know, I need to right. come on and get him while he's laying down. And so uh, he asked me to ask the 911 operator, when are they coming? I'm like, okay, are they coming? Are they on the way? He's laying down. I need them to come on. So, you know, now I'm getting anxious, you know. They need to come on while he's laying down. You know, it's taking so long. Because right. I know it was only probably a few minutes, but it seemed like hours. I'm like, come on in, in the room. And so he says, can I get some water? And I didn't ask. I just said, get some water, baby. Just go ahead and get you some water. It's going to be all right. You know, and I just told myself, you know, it's a good thing that you're giving yourself up. You know, it's, you know, it's going to be okay for you. And so he went and got the water and he laid back down. And then he heard them coming. He right. said to me, they're coming. And I'm like, where? 
He said, I hear them. They're coming. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I didn't. I couldn't hear anything. And so by this time, I'm looking up, and I see the police officers in the little glass mirror of the door. Right. And that was another part of the terror. Because, you know, you see it on TV and all that. But then what happens is now it's like in front of you. So they just come, you know, bum rush into the room. And, you know, it's like police officers everywhere. They got shields and they got guns. Their guns right. just as powerful as his guns. You know, they got rifles. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, I just came from one AK-47 and 500 rounds of ammunition. You know, now I got several AK-47s, right. you know, ammunition and bullets. And I'm like, oh, you know, they got the you know the, the shields up and all that. And you're like, okay, Lord. Okay, help me, help me, help me. So, you know, that was that was just another level. And, you know, they checking out to make sure that nobody else is in the room and that the surroundings are safe and all that. But after all of that, when they came and got him, it wasn't until they stood him up that I could just say, ooh, Jesus, it's all over with. Right. But even with all of that, though, you know, you go through this and, you know, all this stuff happens in your life and all that. You know, so now it's at a point now, what do you do with it? You know, what do you do with it now to stop, look, and listen now for your next destiny and purpose? Right, right. Well, first, before you go on to that, oh, so what happened to Michael Hill? They they arrested him. Was was he tried and incarcerated? Uh, what What happened? Well, after they, you know, arrested him and all that, they put him in the car and all that, um, he was in jail. And so they actually had his trial. Um, I did not attend the trial or anything like that. And so I know he got some time in jail. And so, um, but to be honest with you, I've just been um, praying and interceding for him because at the end of the day, you have to go back and look at it and know that it's jail the proper way for him to go without any help. Because at the end right. of the day, he needs some help. Because you're only going to stay there for so long, so how do you now rehabilitate that person so when they come back out into society, they don't do the same thing? Oh, exactly. So I'm not sure where he, you know, I know that he's, you know, you know, in jail and all that now, but I'm not sure of actually what's actually going on with his life or anything like that. But I hope that, wherever he is today, that the incident changed his life, that could, he could, now he can be able to see that he passed several schools before he got to me. Mm. He parked his car right beside me. It was all a prepared-for-purpose moment for him to come to that school. Right, for him and to encounter be you. <laughs> and encounter me because I should have been back at my desk by now. But, you right. know, God gave me that phone call to to hold me up not to be there. And so all of it was just to place me in that um, point, even down to I think sometimes what we do is we see things that are coming into our lives. Like with my ex-husband leaving me and right. all of that. I know now today that if he had not left me emotionally, mentally, or physically or anything, I would have not been ready for the government when he came into the school. All of that lead it up to that allowed me to be ready for that moment. Right. That's amazing. And, and I, you know, I know your your life has changed dramatically. So this was in August of 2013. Uh, yes. You know, the book came out in January. 
you have been on so many different TV shows. You've been at the State of the Union uh, address. I saw your interview with Anderson Cooper and just had to chuckle when he said that your voice was so calming that he, he actually wanted to have you as his dial tone or as his ringtone on his phone. And I thought, how how sweet uh, of him to say that. But so so tell me about that because you know I mean here you have met uh you know so many celebrities and and uh you know it's it's really just amazing. I mean Whoopi Goldberg and the view and uh just amazing. Well, you know for me I don't I don't um I don't look at my you know God has just allowed me to be kind of um prepared and and, and thrust into this point of where he wants me to go. And I, I look at it as just God's vessel, to be honest with you. You know, I, mm, I get up wonderful. now and I ask God, whose life are we going to change and whose soul are we going to save today? And so for me, it's like I, I, I was actually, you know, pushed into this, you know, not knowing that this was going to be my life. If I had it to do all over again, I would do it all over again. I wouldn't relive my life any different from my dad leaving me to my ex-husband leaving me and kill me right there in front of the gunman. I wouldn't have done anything else different. And the reason why is because at the end, it saved over 870 students, teachers, and parents, even the gunman that day. Right. And so even though I travel all over the world now, you know, speaking professionally, nationally, and internationally, you know, people call my office and they go on my website. I just, we just redid my website, me and my team, so that people can be able to, you know, look on my website and be able to actually, you know, have me to come and speak to their businesses and, right. you know, speak with, you know, speak with children and um and the schools. So I travel all over just preparing, helping people to be prepared for their purpose. I think that's the biggest thing for us is that how do I now take all the lemons that I got and make lemonade with it? Right. And the lemonade can be sweet. It doesn't have to be just lemons. And so that's what I do now today. I travel all over the world doing that, teaching people how to be prepared for their purpose, how to stop, look, and listen, you know, and when things come in your come your way. You don't have to always just react. And I think that's what we do a lot is that we don't do that stop, look, and listen. We react so quickly, and then at right. the end we try to stop, look, and listen, but it's too late. And so a lot of times what we do is we make mistakes and, you know, but those mistakes that we do wind up, you know, costing us at the end. Or what right. we do is make emotional decisions what cost us at the end. And so now that's what I do. I just, you know, be able to show people how to do that. Um, I actually now, um, my book did come out in January of last year. And so I actually now go, which is prepared for a purpose, and so I also started a nonprofit organization, which is Kids on the Move for Success. So they named that day, August the 20th, after me, and it's called Antoinette Tufts Day. Mm. And so what I did for the first anniversary of that day and what I continue to do is that we give out scholarships and set up college funds for children from pre-K all the way to college and international. So last year... We gave out our scholarship at the um, 14 scholarships last year. We're going to be going in a couple of weeks and giving out a scholarship at the Trumpet Awards. And so I'm just now giving back to those children so that they know today that they don't have to be a Michael Hill. They don't have to look at their life and say, why me? What did I do so wrong? You know, I go to inner cities and teach children how to be prepared for their purpose because it starts there. 
It doesn't start when we're an adult. How do I now take the pre-K to be able to show them how to be prepared for their purpose? How do I take elementary students, you know, middle students and high school students to be prepared for their purpose? We all have one in life. And so for me, it's just being able to just plant seeds back into, you know, my babies all over the world. So when you buy my books and when you go to my website and donate, all of those funds go back to be able to support a child and give them an educational opportunity that otherwise they wouldn't have one. So they, too, can be able to learn how to stop looking missing. Oh, that's great. Antoinette, I so appreciate your time. And uh, again, her book is called Prepared for a Purpose, the inspiring true story of how one woman saved an Atlanta school under siege. Antoinette, what is the best way for people to reach you if they're interested in having you come speak or if they would like to learn more or donate uh, to your foundation? They can actually um, go to our website. My website is um, www.antoinettetuff.com dot com and they can do on there under my research tab they can actually you know have me to come and speak and request for me. Um also I have a hire form on there for they come out and book me and everything like that under the booking tab. They can also donate to my um nonprofit which is kids on the move for success dot org or they can call our office at one eight seven seven eight nine five nine six nine five. Great. And again, it's Antoinette with two T's and Tuff, T-U-F-F, so uh, two F's. Antoinette, thank you so, so much, and I just hope you have a blessed day, and uh, thanks for instilling uh, your courage, uh, even in the face of of, uh, being terrified and and, uh, just giving us such a motivational talk today. Uh, Hope you have a, a warm weekend. I know it's just as cold in Atlanta as it is here in Tampa. Yes, it is. But thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show today. And I had a wonderful time. And thank you all for the audience for listening to us today. Well, great. Thank you so much. And for those of you who'd like to know more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, it's executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And we also have a Facebook presence. And then we have a private site for our members. Thanks again. And tune in again next week. Thank you. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Oh, 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 oh,